So we're continuing on through the pilgrim's precepts that Peter has given us in his epistle as we pilgrim through this life looking forward to heaven, the city that God has prepared for us, the home, the mansion that the Lord is currently making for us. And so tonight we're going to look at your blessed reminder in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And so I said last week, we, we are going to take larger sections. And so I stayed true to my word. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Let's pray and let's uh, see what the Lord will have for us. Lord, thank you for your grace, Lord, as we learned about already, Lord, and Lord, the truths that you have, that you have risen again from the dead and that you're alive. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those truths, Lord, and apply them to our life to see how Peter takes them and applies it to the group that he was writing to. And, and Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us how we can take those things and, and make them real to us. Lord, we know that the believers that Peter was writing to were, were no different than us. They were people who were walking by faith, who were experiencing trials. And Lord, all of us in some sense, Lord, will experience a trial. Maybe some of us are in a trial tonight or a testing of faith. Maybe to others, our test or trial might seem small, Lord, but nevertheless, you won't give us more than we can handle. And Lord, you are a great and good God who knows exactly what we need to grow and to, to mature. And so, Lord, we just give our, Lord, we give you our lives and we ask that your spirit would continue his work of transformation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you come to the reality that reminders are important? I've come to the reality that there's two types of people on this earth. Number one, those who use reminders and those who should use reminders. You know, think about it. I mean, we live in the information age. Does anybody actually remember someone's cell phone number anymore? I, I just thought about the other day. I was like, I, I don't think I know anybody's cell phone number anymore. You know, but, you know, thankfully we have everybody's name on there. We just press the button and it automatically dials them. You know, we live in the information age. And we have information just blasting at us left and right. I mean, think about it. A hundred years ago, a family was lucky if they had 20 books, you know, 10 books. But now, I mean, we can have up to 5,000 books on our phone. And so we, we're con, con, you know, consistently bombarded with information. And that information also sometimes bring, brings information overload. And so it's good to have reminders. Now, I point this out because the Bible has taught this a long time before the information age. The Bible is consistently giving us reminders as we read through the scripture. Here's, here's some examples. In the Old Testament, we see the Feast of Israel was reminders. God knew that as people would come into the land, they would get settled in, they would get caught up with life, and they needed a reminder of God's faithfulness, of his goodness. They needed a reminder that they needed to praise God. Also, throughout the other places in the Old Testament, such as the law, the um, prophets, and, and the poetry books, God has given them a number of reminders to come back and worship him. Here's one example. In Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, King David wrote this, a Psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. You see, David was a worshiper. 
He was a man after God's own heart, but yet he realized as he journeyed through this life that he needed to consistently remind himself to bless God. He needed to continually remind himself to praise the Lord. Now, we see reminders in the New Testament also. Communion is a reminder. The Lord established that as an ordinance for us to remember. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me so we can think about the Lord. Also, in the New Testament, we're given reminders by the writers, and one such example is here tonight in our passage. The Apostle Peter is going to give us a couple of reminders, four to be specific, four reminders of why we should bless the Lord as we pilgrimage through this life. Our first reminder is given to us in verse 3. We see we're to bless God because we're born again. It's real simple. We're to bless God because we're born again. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here's that word blessed. And Peter begins this passage by that word. This word is actually an encouragement to worship God at all times, even in the midst of their situation. We, you know, as we talked about last week, the context was the believers were under persecution. This was a time in which Nero was in power. Rome was starting to begin their hostility towards Christians. Um, these believers, most of them probably Jews, were scattered from their homeland of Jerusalem and Judea into these areas of pagans and Gentiles, and they weren't liked because they were different. They were believers. But yet Peter writes to them and says, hey guys, bless the Lord, and bless the Lord at all times. We need to remember that as we walk to the Lord, or walk with the Lord. Now the reason why we're to worship God is because of his great love and abundant mercy. The word mercy means not getting what we deserve. This is in contrast to justice. Justice is getting what we deserve. If God gave us justice, we would all be in hell forever. That is what we deserve. We're separated from God because of our sin. But rather than give us justice, God gave us grace. And grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And so we've been given mercy, not getting what we deserve, and we've been given grace, getting what we don't deserve. And that grace and mercy is revealed through the fact that you and I are born again here tonight. And we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we'll talk more about this living hope in verses four and five, but let's discuss this abundant mercy and how we're born again. You see, while we are still sinners, God poured out his grace and mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means that the check that we cash because of our sin, the money that we get back is separation from God, eternal separation from God. But God, knowing that, and in his great mercy, sent his son Jesus to die in our place for us as our sacrifice and as our substitute. The Bible teaches that Christ became what's called a penal substitution. Christ became sin for us. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus became fully sin but it means that he took the, pun the penalty and the punishment for our sin. He took it on us. He died in our place. And that's God's mercy. He gave us you know, what, what we don't deserve. He gave us grace. And not only that, but God raised Jesus from the dead. And so God gave us an objective principle, an objective reality that Jesus has given us mercy. You see, anybody can say that I'm gonna die for you on the cross, but to prove it is something else. And Jesus did die for us on the cross and to prove that God's sacrifice 
and, and, you know, and to prove that Christ was our substitute, God said, here, I'm going to demonstrate for you. I'm going to raise Christ from the dead. And, that, and that's what God did. So God has given us an objective you know, reality of his mercy in Christ's sacrifice. God, while we're still sinners, Christ died. Now, a person is, a person is begotten again or born again when they realized what Christ has done for them on the cross. Real simple. When I realize that I'm a sinner and that God has sent his son Jesus to die for me on the cross and that he also rose him again from the dead to prove it, if I'm willing to turn from my sin and put my faith in that gospel that he did that for me, the Bible says by that simple act of faith and God's grace working on my heart that God comes and lives in me. I am now born again. I'm made alive. I'm regenerated. Because when each one of us are born into this world, we're born dead in trespasses and sins. We're born separated from God. We're born spiritually blind and discerned to spiritual things. But yet through God's grace working on our heart, through God's spirit drawing us to himself and by his gospel, you know, he's given us the ability to believe. And when we believe, we're saved. And God makes us a new person in Christ. He regenerates us. He makes us alive again. We're no longer dead, but now we're a new creation. This is an amazing truth. And Peter says, man, we should bless the Lord because of it. But it gets even better because we've been given a living hope in Christ. Now, what is this living hope? Well, this brings us to our second reminder in verses four and five, we're to bless God because we have a reserved inheritance in heaven. Verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, it would be a great honor if you found out that a famous person, such as the president or a senior official, reserved something for you. You know, like Walt Disney's son said, hey, by the way, I have a special room reserved for you in Disneyland right now, the Dream Suite. I'm like, wow, I'm a special person. As you go there and you check in, back, like, oh, Jacob Kelso, oh, you're, you're right here on the list. I mean, that would make you feel really special. But that has nothing on what Peter is saying here. You see, the God of the heavens and the earth has reserved something special for you, individually, personally, in heaven. Now notice, it is reserved. It's not going to be reserved. And so right now, there's a reservation if you're born again with your name on it. So this shows us that it's not talking about future rewards because we earn rewards as we walk with Christ. But this probably refers to, our full, to the full revelation of our salvation and the glory that we're gonna receive when we're in Christ. You see, because we're saved, but our salvation is not yet complete. We're not yet glorified yet. And we'll talk more about this um, in a second. Now, Peter goes on and describes just how great this inheritance is. He says, whatever it is, it's, he, it's eternal. And here's a description of it. It's incorruptible, which means it can't corrode, crack, or decay. It can't be undefiled. It's undefiled, meaning that it's always, it always remains in perfect condition. It will never fade away. It will never diminish in its value and glory. And so, you know, while we can be certain that this inheritance can't change or fade away, um, you know, the question arises, well, how about us? How about us? You see, Peter says, guys, here's a, here's a great thing. Because you're born again, you have this inheritance in heaven. It's reserved for you. It's never going to change. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be great and glorious and perfect. We think, oh, man, that's going to be awesome. But then we think, oh, wait a second. What about me? How do I know if I'm actually going to make it there or not? I mean, because we're sinners, right? We're in the sanctification process. 
is, you know, what if someone loses their salvation? Well, Peter clears up that issue here in verse 5. Notice verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, that's good. It, it gets even better now. It's like an infomercial, right? It just keeps getting better and better and better. So we have this inheritance. It doesn't change. It doesn't fade away. It's perfect. And then Peter says, oh, yeah, by the way, just in case you're wondering, God's power is going to keep you to make sure that you're going to receive that inheritance. You don't have to worry about God letting you go or you falling away. This is pretty clear that salvation is eternal and secure. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I am secure in God. The word kept by the power of God is a Greek military term, I'm told. It means to be kept safe, to be guarded, and to be watched over. It's the same truth that Jesus illustrated when he said, I hold my sheep in my hand, and no one will pluck them out of my hand. My father has the same power. You know, he holds sheep in his hand, and no one plucks them out of his hand. And so this shows us that we have the guarantee that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will wake up one day in glory. Now, the phrase through faith means that we don't have to maintain our salvation. That's not what it's saying at all. It's not saying that we have to maintain our salvation. Think about it. After all, we didn't earn our salvation in the first place. It was by God's grace that we were actually able to believe in Christ, and it's by God's grace that we're sustained in Christ. And so we don't have to maintain our salvation, nor do we have to you know, earn our salvation. But the fact that we have faith in this means that we're to believe and trust God, that he's able to keep us as we walk through this life. And so this shows us that God's work in our life is going to be complete. And that's the promise that we have, that God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is saying. Now our salvation, as I said, is a work of God from beginning to end. It began in the past when you were freed from the penalty of sin. The moment you believed on Christ, you were declared righteous. You were born again. But that's not all it is. God is continuing to work in your life today. Presently, he is working in your life, giving you the power over sin. He's transforming you daily into Christ. You're still a work in progress. But one day, there's a future tense to our salvation. It's, where, it's when we're going to be fully revealed what our salvation is, when we wake up in Christ-likeness. We'll be fully glorified. And that's what Peter's talking about here, that we have that hope, that promise that the Lord will, will work in our life. Now we come to our third reminder in verses 69. We see we're to bless God because he's able to work all things together for good. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter said, guys, right now you're rejoicing because God's doing a great work in your life. But for a while, some of you are going to experience some of these trials and tribulations. Now notice four things that Peter tells us and teaches us about these tribulations that we might experience as we pilgrimage through this life. First, it's possible to rejoice and worship God in the midst of them. That's what Peter says here. It's possible you can greatly rejoice. He's writing to people who are already suffering. It's possible to greatly rejoice 
as we walk through this life. You see, they were scattered, they were persecuted, but yet God would give them the grace in their circumstance to bless him and to praise him. Second, trials and tribulations are for a while, though if need be for a while. Now this can imply that it could happen to part of our life here on earth, or in light of eternity, it can happen while our entire life on earth. So whether you look at it from our perspective now that you maybe only have a trial for a time in your life, or as you look at it from the perspective of eternity, it's a really small time in an aspect of thinking about the future glory. And that's what Paul said. He says, hey, my light afflictions are but for a moment, but it's working in me an eternal weight of glory. Compared to eternity, got this trial that, that's in my life for now is only for a moment. Um, you know, in, in light of this, this life, it's but a vapor in, in light of eternity. Third, God is still on the throne in our trials. Notice Peter says here, if need be, if need be. So does that mean that if God will at times allow trials for various reasons? Yes, if need be. God is able to work in our life. God's ways are beyond our ways. God's ways are beyond finding. I remember it really transformed the way I think about things when Pastor Gene taught about preventive discipline in the life of the Apostle Paul. I was like, wow, I never really thought about that, preventive discipline. And, and that's exactly what the Lord did in the Apostle Paul's life. The Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, lest he be exalted above measure by the revelations that the Lord has given him. And Paul recognized that, hey, wow, this is given to me for a purpose of keeping me humble as a preventive discipline that I would not become prideful. Now, it's not all trials, or I'm not saying, you know, all fit in that category. I mean, you know, the Lord is able to work through various ways and, and, and reasons in each one of our life. And God is going to continue that work and, and complete that work. But God, if he allows something in our life, it's for a, it, it can have a good purpose of it. He's able to work all things together for good for those who love him. You notice here, third, God is still on the throne in our trials, if need be. That's what it means, if need be. Fourth, we can be honest that trials are real and not fun. We don't have to be fakers about it. You know, we don't have to put on a spiritual front. Peter said here, there are grief. That's exactly what he says here. He says, there are grief. You're grieved by various trials. They're not fun. They hurt. Jesus wept over Lazarus. Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. Right? He didn't lie about it. He didn't say, oh, I don't experience anything at all. I'm, I'm just trying to have positive thinking. No, he didn't say that at all. He says, guys, this thing I have right now is like a messenger of Satan. It's like a thorn in my flesh, constantly. The believers in Thessalonica were sorrowing, sorrowing over their dead loved ones, and Paul didn't rebuke them. They were sorrowing. But yet, they were sorrowing with hope. They, didn't, you know, they weren't sorrowing without hope, but they knew that God was able to work through this, and he was going to work through this. Fifth, God is able to work um, uh, God is able to work in, in our lives through trials. He's able to work in our life. Now notice this. Paul here talks about our faith being refined like pure gold. And that draws us to this illustration of the refiner who worked with gold. You see, just as gold was refined through heat, even so our faith is made stronger and genuine as we go through various trials. The ways that our faith is made genuine is it confirms to us the power of God and his faithfulness. That's how it makes us genuine. Now notice the phrase, much more precious than gold there. Much more precious than gold. Think about the attention of a craftsman. 
you know, especially at that time, if you get a piece of gold, it's very important. And the last thing you want to do is burn that thing up, right? I mean, you know, I'm an air conditioner mechanic, and so, you know, when we have new guys on the job and they're brazing, you know, last thing they want to do is, is burn a hole in a pipe. You know, so they're paying, they're real, they're paying real close attention, not you know, trying to burn stuff up. And, you know, in, in the same way, you know, here this gold, you know, person, person who's working with gold, refining this, they're paying close attention, they're watching it, they're, they're, you know, putting careful techniques behind it to make sure it turns out perfect, to melt it down, to burn off the impurities, to see the reflection, and then make something beautiful. Well, how much more important is our faith to God than gold? You see, God is not some distant force or being that's saying, oh, I'm going to throw this in your life, and I don't really care what happens. I'm, I'm just going to throw this in my life. No, God is like this gold you know, refiner who's paying careful, close attention, who knows exactly how much to heat up, who knows exactly where to work and, 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 and why to work. He's paying close attention. So he's with us through it. And if he allows it, he has a purpose. And we just need to trust the Lord that he's there and he wants the best for us. Verse 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, it's easy to think of these believers in the New Testament as like the Avengers, you know, as, as Christians or whatever, or like superheroes, that stuff comes in and it just kind of bounces off them. Well, no, that's not so. They're just like us. You see, just like us, these believers had never seen Jesus. They'd never seen Jesus. They were walking by faith. Just like us, they heard the gospel. They were saved. They were born again. They had the word of God coming to them from Peter that they had to trust and take and apply and, and live by. That's just like us. They're, they're no different than us. And yet, while this is so, we see that by God's grace, they were able to be dynamic pilgrims who forsook the things of the world and we're able to look forward to the hope that God had for them, the salvation of their souls. And the same hope God wants to work in our life. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us the same dynamic witness as we're going to see that they had as we journey through this book. Now we come to a fourth and final reminder in verses 10 to 12. We're to bless God because of our privilege of knowing the mysteries of God. Verse 10 of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So it's neat that we talked about the mysteries of God on Sunday, and now the Lord is still confirming that here to his word to us to encourage us. You see, the church of Jesus Christ, which was started on the day of Pentecost, has been blessed to know the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are those things which were hidden and are now revealed. And so Peter, in verse 11, gives us one of these mysteries he says, you and I as Christians have been blessed to be able to understand the relationships between the suffering of the Messiah, his first coming, and his second coming, his glory. You see, in the Old Testament, they didn't understand that. And they had a bunch of different theories about maybe there's two Messiahs or, or you, know, you know, this or that. But yet, as Christians, we have God's full revelation in the Bible, and we can understand 
this relationship. We know that Christ came the first time in order to die for our sin and to suffer for us. But yet we know that God is not done with that yet. Yet the glory aspect is in his resurrection, his ascension, the rapture, his second coming in the millennial kingdom. And the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied these things. At one moment they would be speaking about the suffering of Christ, and the next moment they'd be speaking about the glories of Christ. And Jesus, such as in Luke 4, often he would stop at the middle of a verse. Say, that's all I'm going to say for now. You know, the rest is yet to come, kind of thing. You know, you know, the same way as you read through Daniel chapter 9. You know, the Lord has fulfilled 69 weeks, but there's still that 70 week out there. And now we're living in the middle of a gap. And so here's these Old Testament prophets. They recognized and understood that they spoke by the Spirit of God. They knew that the words were coming out of their mouth and on paper was by God. So they actually studied their own writings. That's a neat thing. I pray that God would give me that as a teacher. Lord, I'm going to study my own stuff right now because I know, you know, I know the Lord is doing this. And that's what they did. They studied their own writings, their own teachings. Notice this, trying to determine what the Messiah would be like. They studied their own writings to seek to determine what time he would come and what it meant by him suffering and what it meant by him reigning. They studied these things, and yet Peter tells us, hey guys, they come to the reality that these things weren't really for them. They spoke, you know, as what, what they call didactic teaching, which is the things which were for the people at that time as they spoke judgment upon Israel and Judah, things like that. But they came to the reality that when they spoke about far prophecy, about things of the future, that they said, yeah, it's not for us. It's sealed up. <laughs> you know, it, it's for the people of the future. And Peter says, guys, it's for you today. You have that full revelation. You and I have been blessed to know about our salvation in the work that God's gonna do. This reminds me of what Peter, or excuse me, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verses four through six. He says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, be, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the entire Bible from beginning to end is all for the purpose of causing us to love one another and for us to worship and bless God. As we look at the Old Testament, we say, wow, God, you're amazing. And we even had the end of the book and we see what God's gonna do. All this is to give us a reminder that we're to love each other, love God, and bless him with our worship. In closing, you know, reminders are pretty important. Even the reminders in the Bible, we need to take heed to them and we need to not let life, circumstances, or busyness get in the way of those, but we need to set those times aside for us to bless the Lord. And as we do, we'll see that we'll have victory in our trials. Amen? Amen.